When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Cardi in the flesh with us tonight as our board op. Cardi, were you listening yesterday? Were you aware that you had been narked on from the company picnic? I was not aware because I don't have a phone, so I really couldn't listen to anything. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, you can't so fire no. up the app to listen because <laughs> you have no phone. Did you correct the phone prop? We still don't have a phone. It is currently at my uh, family house in New York, so I am without phone tonight again wow. for day two. Which, wow. whoa, 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 what, a, a new phone or the one you lost at the picnic? New phone. I think the one I lost is in about four pieces. Okay, okay. Um, any any thank you for defending you yesterday or is Why, it just you all You called attitude? me a bonehead. Why would I thank you? Are, are you not? No, because <laughs> I've ridden that ride and it stayed in my pocket. <laughs> To be clear, I'm, I'm if you if for, that's that's as, uh, that's a, a, such a lack of gratitude on behalf of just a a self centered millennial. These Gen Z, <laughs> what are you? Are you Gen I Z? I'm millennial. I'm Gen Z. Thank you. Gen yeah. Z. Yep. Classic. I don't know. Gen me. Z. Thank you. Is the I don't know. Thank you. Is the route. Well, I would just like the proper uh, name, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would says, like my credit, please. Says the guy who who dropped his cell phone riding a roller coaster that he has ridden before, apparently yeah. many times. And so technically, there is a bone in your head. So, you know, if we're going to go by the letter of the law here, a thank you is probably so, where you That's not go. how you meant it, and we both know that. <laughs> so it is said, so it is done. Joe Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Assuming you didn't lose your phone on a roller coaster, you can listen to ESPN Radio <laughs> on the app. ESPN Radio, of course, presented by Progressive. So let's talk about what's happening here in San Francisco. You're one last thing. I just got to do one last thing on him. I got to do one last thing on him. The fact that he can't listen to the program because he lost his phone and there's no other possible way of accessing this show is incredible. Well, he's Gen Z. Car radio. Gen Z doesn't know how to turn on a radio. Just the the sheer idea of I can't hear the show. I don't have my phone. I guess there's no other way to access it. I'm I'm checking out. Just remarkable. It's funny you mention that because I actually have been forced to listen to the radio because I don't have a phone. So. He was disgusted that he had to put the radio on to listen to the radio. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there like, you did go. You, did you even know where the AM dial was? You probably had to figure that out for like your the yeah, local no ESPN idea. affiliate. He had no idea how to get that done. Of course, you can also listen to us on Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's talk about what is happening in Joe's former neck of the woods in San Francisco because Joe... The race to be the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers is over, and Sam Darnold has won the race. Not Trey Lance, not the guy that they traded all the way up in the draft a few years ago to get, who has been there for some time. Sam Darnold, the journeyman who hasn't worked out now multiple places in the NFL, he will be the backup in Kyle Shanahan's system. Brock Purdy, of course, will be QB1. I mean, what an all-time miss first and foremost for the Niners. And we'll get into how bad this miss was in just a second. But think about how bad Trey Lance has to be 
that he's only played a small handful of snaps for them and they're not even trying, like forcing the issue to make him the backup in order to save face. Like generally you'll have these teams that continue to trot out bad starters because they don't want to have to admit they made a bad move. This isn't even that. This is just trot him out as a backup and like at least try to save face. They're throwing in the towel completely, completely for Sam Darnold, which I don't think a lot of people are surprised Darnold beat him out. But the idea that his career in San Francisco is going to be coming to an end with that little support from the organization to get him onto the field, mind-blowing to me. They gave up three first-round picks and a third-round pick to move from 12 to 3 to draft him. Here are the players in order that went after Trey Lance. Kyle Pitts, the tight end to Atlanta. Jamar Chase to Cincinnati, Jalen Waddle to Miami, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle to Detroit, J.C. Horn, fantastic cornerback to Carolina, Patrick Sertan, the second to Denver, Devontae Smith, Justin Fields, Micah Parsons. <laughs> it's incredible. Any one of those players, literally Elijah any Vera one of the Tucker. players. Yeah, I mean, you go down this list. It's Parsons it's, went, it went 12th to their original draft spot. Unbelievable. Uh, there's so many weapons that they could they could have had there's a lot of big names on this list when you go all the way down the first round of that draft it is wild to think because it's not just they drafted Trey Lance we see that all the time that you draft the guy and then that's a swing and a miss they traded all the way up Joe because they were so sure about getting this particular quarterback and how great he was going to be in that system and he has been in that system for years I know that We've seen injuries derail his development to an extent, but at this point, I don't think you can blame it on the injuries, right? Injuries are one thing. There's got to be a real significant lack of progress here beyond those injuries, or they would at least be giving him some run as a backup. Because you're right. Like, if you have any hope of trading him, like, who is trading for Trey Lance now? They're saying, we're exploring all options with Trey. Well, all right. I mean, we know you're... (laughs) Like you're so out on him in San Francisco that you're not even bothering him to make him QB two for a cup of coffee. So who's trading for him? They're not even bothering to say what, like the Colts said to Jonathan Taylor, we're going to give you permission to seek a trade. They're saying they're exploring all options. One of which is probably like, we just might cut him. Mm-hmm. Like they just might cut him. They it might be so bad. They realize they can't get anything for the guy. He threw 102 passes in the NFL. Three years in the NFL, he threw 102 passes. He made four total starts, and they are done. And this is not the first big swing and miss for this organization. For as good as this team has been, they have bombed out on several first-round picks. Uh, Remember Solomon Thomas, who they picked at the top of the draft in that first year there? Didn't work out at all. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson went a few picks later, by the way. Reuben Foster, who the linebacker out of Alabama, who they took at the end of the first round, couldn't stay out of trouble. They barely got anything out of him. Javon Kinlaw, defensive lineman out of South Carolina a few years ago, they can't even get him on the field anymore. He just doesn't get it done. Trey Lance, Mike McGlinchey's an offensive tackle they drafted in the first round. He played for them, but he just went and signed with Denver. Like, they didn't even re-up him. They, they Seven first-round picks under the Shanahan-Lynch regime. Three are complete busts. One's kind of undecided, and that's me being friendly to Kinlaw. One's mediocre, and that's me, me being accurate with Mike McGlinchey. And two could be good. Brandon Ayuk 
And then, of course, Nick Bosa. They smashed right. on Nick Bosa. Well, and that's, that's the it. thing. If you're John Lynch, you're resting your entire resume on two names, Nick Bosa and hoping that Brock Purdy makes that list, right? Oof. Because if you hit on Mr. Irrelevant, then this faux pas over here with Trey Lance, we can get, like, that's a that's a push, right? We can kind of wash that away, what we did over here, because it worked out so well over here. And it was so remarkable how we were able to get it done when nobody expected us to over here. So if you're John Lynch, those are the names that you're leading that conversation with. Otherwise, you can easily make the argument that this team has not drafted well whatsoever, which is pretty remarkable considering how good they are. Yeah, it's just they it's not that they've done a poor job drafting because outside of the first round, they have a lot of big hits. Fred Warner at linebacker is a tremendous draft pick, and we can go on and on with others. Debo Samuel was a fantastic draft. They're pick just as better well. later. Yeah, they just, they can evaluate. It's not that they can't evaluate, but man, when you look back at the swings and misses at the top of the draft and you realize you've been so close so many times to getting over the hump, you just think about what you could possibly have had a couple of these gone a different way. Not all of them, but a couple, because you're never going to bat 100 or 1,000% when it comes to the NFL draft. It's just this Niner team, I don't even know. Like, I wonder if Lance is just going to wash out. I wonder if I, someone will, will pick him up just to explore, but right. I don't think this is just a talent issue. I think Shanahan understands which guys get his system and which guys don't. And I think with Lance, when we saw Purdy pick it up as quick as he did, I, I think Shanahan's looked at it and like, this guy is just not football bright enough to get what we want to do here, which is mind blowing because you met him and worked with him before the draft. Like, why mm -hmm. did you select him? You had an opportunity to sit down and interview with him. So what happened in those interviews? I know you picked him because you thought he was your system quarterback. Like that's why you picked him. Not because you thought he was generational independent of you, but because you thought he suited your specific system so well. And it appears to be your system that he can't pick up. So we will see what happens here with Trey Lance. He is not going to be the backup quarterback in San Francisco. Of course, we've seen a situation before where San Francisco rolls through all of their quarterbacks. So maybe they should reconsider getting rid of Trey Lance just yet, just in case both Sam and Brock end up injured this season. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, we saw a salty Tua in his media availability today. The rare salty Tua, Tongue of a Lobo. We'll get into that. ESPN Radio is also on the app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Tua Tagovailoa 
The Miami Dolphins quarterback is normally a very mild-mannered kind of guy, Joe, right? I mean, he seems very even-tempered. He always says all the right things. You get a lot of quarterback speak from Tua. And you don't very often get him riled up because he's also heard it all. He's been criticized his entire career. He's faced a lot of adversity so far, and there's been a lot of questioning to all along the way. So he seems to have a very thick skin. Well, Ryan Clark, our ESPN NFL analyst, apparently got under to a skin on NFL Live. Let's listen to Ryan Clark. Let me tell you what he wasn't doing. He wasn't in the gym. I bet you that. Come on, man. He He wasn't with me. He might have spent a lot of time at the tattoo parlor. He was not at the dinner table eating what the nutritionist had advised. So that was Ryan Clark uh, taking a little bit of a shot there at Tua to his body composition, his weight. That was a couple days ago from NFL Live. Well, the Dolphins quarterback was asked about those comments. He had some pretty strong words for Ryan Clark. I mean, I think we all worked hard throughout the offseason. Um, and I'm not someone to talk about myself the entire time, but I mean, it takes a lot. You think you think I wanted to, to build all this muscle? Like, not to some extent. Like, I, I wanted to... You know, I want it to be a little lighter. There's, I know, there's a mixture of things that people don't understand, that people don't know about, that are talked about, that go behind the scenes. So, you know, I'd appreciate it if you kept my name out your mouth. That's what I'd say. He probably knows more about me than I know about myself. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Ryan's been out the league for some time, so I, I don't know. It, it's a little, it's a little weird when other people are talking about other people when they're not that person. So. I know it's just a little, just a little weird. Like my background is, like I, I come from a Samoan family. Like respect is everything, but you know, does get to a point where, hey, you know, little easy on that, buddy. Because you know we, I, I think we're we're pretty tough-minded people, and uh, if we need to get scrappy, we can get scrappy too. Just saying. So that was uh, Tua being being salty, Joe. Although even a salty Tua still was, I mean, he was pretty even keel overall. He doesn't deny it. That's, you would figure the first thing you would say, if someone's accusing you of what Clark's accusing Tua of, you'd think the first thing would be, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. I was in gym five days a week. I've been working with a new nutritionist. No, not every single meal is by the book. I do have pizza once a week, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. Wherever he's getting his information from, he's wrong. That would be the natural response there because it's not like he went up there and had no idea of these comments. He was aware, so he had time to think about it. So I'm trying to figure out why the first thing wouldn't be a denial, right? That Like there was nothing in there where he tried to say that Clark was wrong. He just kind of talked about how, you know, respect for people, the scrappiness, he knows more about me than I do. Like he makes a joke, but he doesn't deny it. That's what I find interesting. I felt like that part was kind of the denial, right? Like, oh, well, he... he knows more about me than I do you know like I know I'm not overweight I know I've been taking care of myself in the off season that's kind of what I felt like he was sort of doing there if you read between the lines I agree with you there wasn't sort of that direct head-on denial but he did at one point allude to the fact that he wasn't trying to get heavier 
in terms of muscle, that he wasn't necessarily trying to bulk up in terms of muscle. It's interesting because I actually thought he did. He looked heavier when he hit the field. And we, a lot of people made comments on the heavier, but I was taking the heavier as a good thing. So I, I hadn't thought about it, frankly, as a negative thing until I heard Ryan Clark say that. And the reason that I thought it was a positive thing, Joe, is because we're talking about a quarterback with durability issues. And so come back out here with a bigger frame. And Tua did that. Like, he looks more – when he walked onto the field, the first video I saw of him, when he walked out there for training camp, the first day I saw him in training camp, that was one of the first things I noticed was that dude looks bigger. But I wasn't taking that as a negative. That wasn't like a, you know – Russell Wilson's getting bigger and and maybe that's not the approach because we need him to be, you know, lighter and still a little faster on his feet now that he's aging a bit. That's not what I was picking up. What I was picking up was Tua put on some weight so that he's harder to take down. Uh, that that certainly could be the case. I sometimes wonder when it comes to dirty, durability issues, are you trying to be bigger for the reasons you lay out or do you want to be a little bit lighter so you can be more mobile and avoid some of that contact? I could see it going either way. I mean, for Tua, it's all going to come down to what he wants to do in terms of proving it on the field this year. He's coming off his best season as a pro, 25 TDs, eight interceptions, second highest completion percentage. He played very well when he was on the field, 8.9 yards per attempt, a career high. That's a big number. That shows a willingness to push the ball down the field. That shows big plays. It's not just dink and dunk. So he took a lot of criticism, if you remember, going into last season. They The, the Dolphins social media team threw that highlight up of that pass he had to Tyreek Hill where he underthrew him and they made a big deal of it. And everyone was like, well, if that's the best video you can come up with, he must be playing terrible. And then he surprised everybody. So maybe he'll go out there and do it again. I just, it's funny. I don't know RC to just take unfounded shots. So he's obviously got some sort of information that would lead him to believe Tua didn't work out as hard as he said. And then I listened to Tua and it didn't feel to me like it was an outright denial. So maybe there's some truth to it, but we'll see. We're going to find out in a couple weeks whether or not he's ready to go this season because they're coming right out of the gate this year. Miami's a very intriguing team. A lot of people are going to be watching. I like this as a Miami Dolphins fan because I have never seen this side of Tua. I've seen Tua mm, criticized okay. so many times over the years. For the arm strength, he's been criticized over and over again, right? He answered a lot of that last season, like you just said. But certainly earlier in his career, that was a huge topic of discussion over and over again. He was criticized just in terms of could he stay healthy and on the field and also in terms of is he good enough, right? It's a quarterback that got benched there in his rookie season going back and forth with Ryan Fitzpatrick of all quarterbacks toggling back and forth under Brian Flores. And then you see with Tua, the Dolphins flirting with Tom Brady. Apparently their plan was to bring him in. Then they were flirting with Deshaun Watson, right? Trying to bring him in during Tua's tenure. It was like at every turn there was criticisms with Tua and there was questions surrounding Tua. So Tua through all of that had an unbelievably thick skin. And you never really saw any emotion from him. He was always the, you know, I can only control what I can control guy, giving you all the cupcake, boilerplate, football-y type answers. This breaks that mold for me. I mean, I, I've never, I'm surprised it's RC that brought it out into a, but this breaks that mold for me. Like, we're finally, it's a step too far. Even now we've seen Tua Tungavaloa 
he has his limits as well. And he's here to let you know that like, yes, we're very fair people. The, you know, Samoan culture that I come with, but don't cross us because we've got that side of us as well. I like it. It makes me excited. I'll tat it up, Tua. Salty Tua. Let's go win a Super Bowl, Tua. <laughs> Joe and Amber, the podcast. Rolling along here on Joe and Amber. Amber Wilson, Joe Fortenbaugh. Find him at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. It is that time where we review the sound from the last 24 hours. Let's get to it. They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. Hello, James Steele. Uh, yeah, just waiting. I'm sorry, you were waiting for me to bring you in. I just like kind of thought. I know this is the first time I've ever done this segment, so I, I know well, how you can be confused. You'd already spoken on today's show, so I forgot that I that I needed to again give you permission to speak. You are granted permission. Thank you. Good to hear I, from you, James. You too, Joe. Um, so first up on the latest Hard Knocks, Jets wide receiver Randall Cobb, who is also. Obviously, a longtime teammate of Aaron Rodgers, also kind of his BFF, warned the rest of the uh, Jets receiving core that if they didn't tighten things up, Rodgers would eventually snap on them. Rodgers addressed Cobb's comments in the media earlier today. I will say that there may have been some comments about uh, about me that I, you know I don't know that are true anymore. You know, Cobby said some things about how you know you gotta you gotta watch out because you know eight's gonna snap at some point. I don't feel like I'm the snapping type anymore. I mean, I'm going to raise my level of uh, intensity, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, embarrass anybody. I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to make guys feel like they're a part of this and, and they're going to get that respect and that kindness. There's going to be accountability, though, for sure. That was an Aaron Rodgers watch. All right, Joe. So Huge what, mistake. You should have waited until one of us started speaking before you dropped that on gotta, us. Got to change it up every once in a while. You can't have <laughs> you expecting it, it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Joe. What do you think? Has the trade in New York made Rodgers a kinder, a kinder and gentler QB? I, it, it, undetermined is my answer because he hasn't faced any adversity yet. When times are good, it's easy to be calm and zen-like and say all the right things. I want to know how you act in wartime. This is exactly what's going on with Mercedes F1 team, right? Mercedes has this infamous no-blame culture. That's what they say from the top down at their F1 team. It's a no-blame culture. If something goes wrong, they don't point fingers. They work to solve it. And it sounded so good right up until Red Bull passed them, and now everyone at Mercedes is blaming everybody else for all of their problems because they're in wartime. They're not in peacetime, and they're not handling it well. So Rodgers can be as zen-like, as calm and cool and collected as he wants during training camp. I want to see what happens when you're trailing the Bills by 14 in the third quarter of week one, or if you lose to the Bills and then you're trailing at Dallas the following week. That's going to be the real telling sign as to whether or not he's changed. This Aaron Rodgers. Now pay attention. Joe and Amber, Aaron Rodgers watch. Darn it, Nick Purdy. (laughs) Nice. That's not fair. That's not how this game is played. You were encouraged by Joe. This is Joe's fault. This Aaron Rodgers, ultimate team guy, now that he's with the New York Jets. Everything about New York Aaron Rodgers is just so much better than Green Bay Aaron Rodgers. Miss me with all of this. It is so (laughs) frustrating. And this is just another place where Aaron Rodgers gets to 
I've turned over a new leaf. I'm a different guy. I give back $35 million. I'm ultimate team guy. I want to help and mentor Zach Wilson. I want to make the future better for everybody and everything. And this is all part of that crud. It's all branding with Aaron Rodgers. Everything's calculated with Aaron Rodgers. And he knows exactly what he's doing, trying to seem like the nice, lovable, new leaf Aaron Rodgers. Everybody moves to New York and gets nice, right? Isn't that New York's reputation? Yeah. That's where everyone goes to retire. They right? like to retire in New York City. <laughs> They're all so sweet there in New York. <laughs> Go ahead, James. Uh, my favorite thing is Amber's Aaron Rodgers voice. All right, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> the division he left will look a lot different this season, including the Bears putting a bunch of weapons around Justin Fields, and obviously the Packers have a new QB1 in Jordan Love. So which young QB has the higher expectations this season, Fields or Love? Here's Football Morning in America's Peter King on ESPN Radio. I think the expectations are a lot higher to me right now for Justin Fields for a very simple reason. Chicago Bears see that he can be a great runner and hasn't really had all the weapons to be a great, complete quarterback. The DJ Moore acquisition was a great acquisition, and that's exactly what Justin Fields needed. Now, in Green Bay, I think the patience for Jordan Love is much higher right now than the patience is in Chicago for Justin Fields. All right, Emmer. So according to Peter King, Fields has the higher expectations, but which one of those two QBs do you think will be more successful this season, Fields or Love? I think it'll still be Justin Fields, and I agree with Peter King that Justin Fields has the higher expectations, and I think it's because we're a season too early for that heat to really apply to Jordan Love. All of this is going to come down to, of course, what we see from Jordan Love this season. But I think that the Packers are committed to Love. They only gave him that small short-term extension there, Joe. But I think they're committed here to a two-year experiment with Jordan Love to determine whether he's going to be capable of at least partway filling those shoes left by Aaron Rodgers. With Justin Fields, it feels like the expectations are that he's already right there. Like he's on the, not that the Bears are, not that the Bears are going to do anything as a team this season, because a lot of people still have them finishing last in the division. But even amidst that analysis, people still have Justin Fields specifically doing very, very well and sort of building on that talent that we already saw make numerous appearances this past season on a very terrible Bears team. So because the Bears just got like that little bit better, not not that they're great around him by any means. His job's still cut out for him. But that little bit better, they did give him some help. And that talent is there. That expectation is there for Justin Fields to take another step forward. Agreed. There's no expectation for Jordan Love. Anywhere you go, no one's picking Green Bay to do anything. It feels like most people have resigned themselves to the thought that, yes, it was Brett Favre, it was Aaron Rodgers, we've seen a little of love, it didn't look good, we don't expect much from this team, we're turning our attention to Detroit and the other teams in the division. You look at the Bears, Justin Fields was 50-1 to to win the MVP award when the odds came out, that's all the way down to 25-1. to There are a ton of people betting him to win MVP. I don't think that's a good wager at all because 14 of the last 16 years, the MVP has been a one or a two seed. The award goes to a winner, and I don't think the Bears are going to win that many games this year. But the Bears hype is very real. The Justin Fields hype is even realer. The expectations are much higher for him this season than they are for Jordan Love. All right, one thing I've learned this past week is that a lot of people are really high on Sam Howell and the Commanders. Just listen to Chris Canty earlier on Greeny talking about Washington's starting quarterback. 
At no point have I seen him in a commander's uniform where he's looked overwhelmed, even going back to his first start against the Cowboys in their regular season finale. This guy is in full command of the offense, and he plays with poise. That matters. And beyond that, the mental makeup, based on what we've heard from him in interviews, seems to be the right stuff. This is not a guy that hasn't played a lot of football. He was a three-year starter at the University of North Carolina. There was one point after his sophomore season, I believe, where people were thinking this guy could be the number one overall pick. All right, Joe, the league's next star quarterback. You buying that for Sam Powell? This is recency bias. We've watched a few minutes of a couple preseason games against a bunch of backups, and now we're all getting excited about Sam Howe. Not saying he's going to stink because he hasn't shown us that yet, but easy, easy. He's got some weapons. His offensive coordinator used to work with Patrick Mahomes. The defense can play a little bit in Washington. There is some upside. But the idea that he's going to come out and take the league by fire. Woo! Let's just wait until he starts playing some real defenses, of which I'm not counting week one because they're playing Arizona, probably the worst team in the league. So let's give it a month and then we can reassess. He's got command of the commanders. I see what Chris Canty did there. This is not the first time I've seen that Washington team be the trendy pick as we go into a season. And that feels like what's happening here with the narrative coming out of the preseason. Great. He's looked poised in preseason action and a, a single NFL game last season. I mean, what are we talking about? It's like, like, it's great that sure. He hasn't looked shook or overwhelmed by the moment. We've hardly seen him in any moments where he should be shook or overwhelmed. If he's any semblance of quarterback in the National Football League, Sam Howell may be better than people expect because of where he was drafted, because of how good he was at one point in college before that final season at UNC. But it doesn't mean that he's about to be Patrick Mahomes out of the gate. So I agree with Joe. Everybody needs to settle down just a little bit. All right, the Yankees right now are up 2 nothing on the Nationals in the bottom of the second inning, but they did lose their ninth straight game last night they're under 500 they're last in the al east not even close to a playoff spot it's been quite the disaster in the bronx and their gm brian cashman said as much earlier earlier today you know it's been a disaster this season um and yeah it's definitely a shock Uh, certainly uh, i don't think anybody on our side of the fence uh from our player group from our coaches or manager um or even outside the organization saw would have predicted this so Amber, how surprising has this collapse been for the Yankees this season? Yeah, I mean, surprising, I guess. I mean, at this point, it's not surprising, right? At this point, we know that they're not making a postseason for the first time since 2016. I mean, come on, I gave up on the Yanks weeks ago. But overall, it's surprising. It's surprising for that franchise that spends so much money and still does have a lot of money. Certainly, injuries have played into this conversation with the Yankees. But when they have been out there and they have been playing, they just don't look like they care. I thought this was going to cost Brian Cashman his job. People that know a whole lot more about the Yankees than me tell me that that's not going to be the case. You know, Aaron Boone, it maybe ends up being the fall guy there. They have to change a lot of stuff, Joe. But first and foremost, it does have to start with those players on the field because for whatever reason, they are not responding in the way that we are typically used to seeing players respond in pinstripes. I don't know what you have to do to motivate that talent, but it's been weird watching it seem very unmotivated towards the end of the season while they're trying to make a postseason. 
to answer James's question, yeah, it is surprising. They won 99 games last year. They had a plus 240 run differential, which was second best in Major League Baseball behind only the Dodgers. They made it to the ALCS. They got swept by Houston, but Houston went on to win the World Series. It's not the end of the world there. That's a hell of a run. So now you come out this season and you're just, what, dead last? Is that the situation? You're, you can't be behind the Orioles, even though the Orioles are good. You can't be trailing the Red Sox, who are who are punting on the season. They, they This team is gutless. That's the problem for the Yankees. They're gutless. They don't have any leadership. It's not like it's a talent problem, okay? They have the second biggest payroll in all of Major League Baseball. They're not the little engine that could in Kansas City or in Baltimore, where that team's put up 77 wins despite a bottom five payroll. They spent a ton of money. They have a ton of talent. Sure, some guys have been hurt. Sure, some guys haven't played well. Figure it out. That's the job. If you don't win the World Series, fine, but you shouldn't be this bad. The terrible culture gutless leadership group good news for the yankees is that uh, aaron Judge just hit his second home run in the night and they're up six nothing now it was yeah. a grand slam oh wow oh the nationals yeah. whoa whoa here we go the 58 and 68 nationals watch out <laughs> this is where it all turns around the for the yankees coming up next year on joe and amber what team should be all in on jonathan taylor we will get back into the all pro running back joe and amber's on espn radio Joe and Amber, the podcast. News ESPN's Adam Schefter is reporting the Colts have given all pro running back Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade. It's not like they're looking to just unload him, yeah. and I don't think that they would trade him just to trade him. I was trying to piece together teams that have cap space and a lot of picks, and I don't know why the Bears came up in my mind. I think the irony here is so spectacular that the Colts have just spent half a year telling Jonathan Taylor he's not worth the money. He's not worth the money. But they want teams around the league to feel like he is very worth the picks. Joe Fortenbaugh, at Joe Fortenbaugh, Amber Wilson, at Amber W Sports. So we know the Indianapolis Colts gave Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade. We also now know that trade discussions have actually occurred. We knew that there would be suitors for this all-pro running back, Joe. And now we know that at least six teams have directly called the Indianapolis Colts to, at the very least, inquire about acquiring Jonathan Taylor. And two of those teams have actually put a deal on the table for Jonathan Taylor. So there is lots of interest around the NFL to try to get Jonathan Taylor. So now the Colts are saying, Tuesday's the day. We're given a Tuesday deadline. Something has to get done for Jonathan Taylor by Tuesday or we're taking him off the board. And that seems ridiculous to me. And like maybe the Colts aren't so serious about actually getting something done. I think there's a reason for it that has to do with a list they have to put him on this season. Like the Well, he's not like if he's on the pup list or he's not, because right now he's on the pup because he's coming off of that ankle injury. There is some minutiae there, and they do need an answer yes. well in advance of the season. So there is some stuff going on there. So I guess maybe that's why. It just feels like if you want top market dollar for this running and actually you think something's going to get done for him that maybe you're not trying to continue to squeeze teams squeeze the timeline and squeeze this player because that's it feels like a negotiating tactic with Taylor to me like they're trying to squeeze Taylor well they should try to squeeze everyone they, they they're the ones in control here so ultimately I think part of the the timeline is to make sure look season's right around the corner 
We got to know who's on the team. We got to know what our financials look like. We got to be ready to move forward because if Taylor's gone, they're going to probably want to address the running back position in some way, shape, or form in a trade back. Like whoever's coming back from the other team, they might want something there. So I can understand the need for the deadline because this is happening at the last minute. I, I, I wonder Their how fold much is happening at the interest. last minute, though, by the way, right? I What's mean, it's the Colts fold is happening at the last minute, right? Like, couldn't they have told him that he could have sought a deal before? before yeah, last, I mean, uh, they, before a few days ago. <laughs> yeah, they could have figured this out sooner. Ursay yeah. never had to say anything to start to get him all riled up. Like, that yeah. was where this all started when Ursay crapped all over the running back position. And then Taylor started getting upset about it. And then they came together and it didn't go well at all. So now, because of just poor communication and a poor choice of words, you have this standoff taking place. I wonder how much interest there truly is. They say six teams have checked in. Here's a check-in. I can call and say, hey, any movement on Taylor? If we offered you a third, what do you think? And they could sit there and be like, that's not enough. And you're like, all right, fine, we're done. Like, you might just try to lowball them. You might just want to see what the market looks like. So I don't know how hot and heavy this is. Also, this is clearly the Colts leaking this information out to the reporters saying, well, we've got six teams checking in and we got two offers. It's not like anyone's calling all 31 other NFL teams and asking them if they've done this and then putting the list together piecemeal and then reporting it. So I, I don't, I wouldn't be making a deal for him. It's not to knock him as a player. I just don't understand why the whole point of the rookie running back, the good rookie running back, like what Atlanta has with Bijan Robinson is that he's fresh, he's young, he's cost-effective, you can run him into the ground for like six years and then you move on before you have to pay him. Like that's the business strategy. Why would you want to swoop in, give up picks and a big contract when the guy's at the end of that window and he's already taken somewhat of a beating? I just don't get why so many six different teams would be interested. Well, and it's Stephen Holder who's reporting that the six teams are interested and that this deadline is now Tuesday for the Indianapolis Colts. Some of these teams, Joe, from my understanding, may be looking at this as a one-year rental. So not necessarily that we are going to pony up and extend Jonathan Taylor, which certainly is what Jonathan Taylor wants and why all of this relationship went south between him and the Colts to begin with. But some of these teams around the league might be looking at this situation thinking, hey, we are in a win now proposition. What if we can uh, get Jonathan Taylor and it's like just for this season, like a Dallas Cowboys. Let's okay. bring him in in the backfield with Tony Pollard. He'd be unbelievably dangerous. We go after the Super Bowl today, not tomorrow. We go after it today. We didn't want to pay Zeke. I mean, I can argue that Jonathan Taylor, you know, it, it may be a better investment there at 24 years old, but they didn't want to pay Zeke. They end up having to move on from him after they already paid him. We know it didn't go well when they did pay Ezekiel Elliott there in Dallas. So it's not a team that I necessarily see stepping up to the plate in terms of that extension with Jonathan Taylor, but maybe a team that would be interested in trading for him for a one-year rental. But then in that scenario, it's like, what are the Colts going to get? I mean, the, the, the Cowboys just put Tony Pollard on the franchise tag, so they're already spending $10 million on him as their running back. He averaged over five yards per carry last season. He's fresh. That's the guy I'd want to be my workhorse. Like, if there's any more investment taking place for the Cowboys, I'd be looking offensive line or adding up on the defense. I think they're pretty well set. I don't think there are a lot of teams out there. You're Dolphins. What would you give up? What would you be comfortable with if you were the general manager of the Miami Dolphins? Well, and Barry, Barry Jackson from the Miami Herald is reporting that the Dolphins have been one of those teams having discussions with the Colts. I would not want to give up a first rounder for Jonathan Taylor just because of the very nature of that position. I would give up stuff, though, for JT. Like, I would be incredibly excited to have Jonathan Taylor 
in this running backs room as a Miami Dolphins fan. And I would be willing because he's only 24, Joe. I know he's coming off of a dip in production this past season because of the injury. But at 24 years old, the usage rate not nearly as high as some other backs in the league. Like he's still got some stuff left in that take. Coming up next, why did Sam Darnold win the number two job in San Francisco? We'll get into it. ESPN Radio is on the app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. 